Hello, welcome to the third episode of the Hamilton Review of Books podcast, or rather our second full episode. My name is Alex Kerner, I'm your host and producer. We hope you enjoyed our first episode with Dana Hansen, the editor-in-chief of the review. The feedback has been very positive, and hopefully it's not just people being nice. The folks at the review and other listeners seem pretty happy with how it turned out. Today, my guest is Jamil Miller. Jamil is a writer, editor, and teacher of movement here in Hamilton. She is the guest editor of our next issue of the review, whose theme will be youth. So with no further ado, here's Jamil. Sarah, hi Jamil, how are you? Hi, I'm good, how are you? Good, good. Thank you for uh, taking the time to be our second guest for the Hamilton Review of Books podcast. Um, As I mentioned in the intro, you are the guest editor of the next issue of the review, and we'll we'll talk a little about that in a second. But in the meantime, I would want to give you a bit of an opportunity to tell us a bit about yourself and the books and and reading life that you have, or what brought you to this world. (laughs) Thank you for this. I'm really excited to, to be able to connect and chat with you. Um, yeah, I'm a writer, I'm an editor and lover of books. I also teach movement here in Hamilton. So some Pilates style movement, just to I guess, give an overview of, of some things I do in community as well. Um, and yeah, I, I got the opportunity to um, come on as a guest editor with this team and really focus on youth um, and youth voices in terms of reading and also expression. Um, as reviewers and and hear um, how books impact youth in our community. Um, And with that, I I do have a background in youth work. So I did previously work for the YWCA Hamilton here in the city and doing a lot of youth programming. And um, that was something that was central just to the work that we did is getting to connect with youth. And there's lots of really great people in community that love to read as, as well as I did. So we'd often connected about about books that impacted us. Um, and then beyond that, as well as being uh, a Black and a biracial woman, um, books really, like growing up, finding my identity through choosing different types of books and some of my favorite books that have an impact um, on me culturally and learning on about myself through through reading is something that I really enjoy doing as well. Are there any books especially that uh, impacted you in that way as a young person? For sure, yeah. So I would say like for me growing up and um, being sort of, I guess, uh, given books that like like assignments and stuff like that in, in school, I didn't really see myself always through through the content or the books that were given in maybe high school, for example, um, until I was more in university and started, I guess, exploring what interested me more. Um, and so like, for example, science fiction or um, Octavia Butler, very, very big influential um, writer to me, especially like Parable of the Sower is probably my favorite book. Um, and yeah, I just learned so much about reading and how impactful it could be. Um, to me once I see myself in books or I understand or can connect with characters beyond just maybe um yeah like I think when I was younger books I would read were were fantasy but I'd often find that I was visualizing like like white people or maybe for example I think like 
I grew up reading Harry Potter books and that, you know, the movies that are alongside those are always just very predominantly white. And and their depictions of race are, you know, I know that Harry Potter has a bit of an anti-racist sentiment there, but some of its depictions of race and the racialized characters is not good. Exactly. And then also getting older and learning more of the, like about my critical lens or learning more about things that, yeah, when my voice started to to have that, that background critical lens, I now look back at Harry Potter books and I'm unfortunately not like I don't enjoy them anymore I don't value them in the same way I did when I was younger so I I read in well this bit of a tangent so I read Harry Potter as an adult uh and I loved them uh, at one point uh when I like when I first read them but obviously J.K. Rowling's repeated trashing of the trans community has definitely uh created a bit of a bitter feeling about those books Um, and as a coincidence my dog's name is Dobby uh and but Dobby obviously in the film and in the books is portrayed as a male but my dog's a, a female so I find it's a it's an appropriate uh use of the name that would probably piss uh J.K. Rowling off just enough uh about that yeah so but no do you think that um things are changing in terms of the kinds of books we get access to in high school because when I went now I went to high school in in the late 90s and it's one of the reasons I really connected with the book you suggested which we're talking about later because she go the character take goes place I think slightly a couple years after me uh so all the pop culture references I totally connected with but uh the books we read you know were predominantly white authors male authors uh and I'm I know there's more of an effort uh in terms of indigenous voice Voices, but do you like as someone who who identifies as black and biracial do you find did you find anything there in terms of the curriculum what was on offer yeah unfortunately not I feel like I was very uncomfortable and I can vividly remember um you know reading aloud like to kill a mockingbird for example and that book is yep I read it <laughs> so um that was one of the things that stuck out for me and made it very hard for me to connect to like I was always a reader I loved to read I'm really excited and did well in English class um but I think it's really important that more um and I think it really is dependent on the teacher like the educator will like I think there's one-off instances where maybe like a racialized educator makes these decisions or decides to bring in different content. But I think a lot of the time, unfortunately, it still happens that the curriculum is just followed. And in that book specifically, I think a lot of schools still teach it. And I I liked, uh, like, I, I'm very fond of The Kill a Mockingbird, but you would imagine by now that, uh, you know, you could, you there's so many other books that at, at least, like, provide us the viewpoint of Black protagonists because effectively to have an... an the entire genre of looking at American racism through the lens of these white heroes is problematic, right? And uh, yeah. It's really important that we, exactly what you're saying is um, looking at classics as well. Like what's a classic? Like I would have rather have read Beloved by Toni Morrison, for example, or something that, you know, speaks to and has the black voice as the central voice of the story that we're being told, um, which is what I look for now um, when I'm looking to read uh, into especially historical fiction or things like that as well. 
Is there anything you've been reading recently that uh, you'd want to share and tell us about? Yeah, I mean, so I've done a lot of like trying to focus more on reading Canadian authors or authors who write in Canada. So I just finished um, by Joshua Whitehead, Johnny Appleseed, which was really, really great. I I really enjoyed it. Um, I think that was the Canada Reads winner, I believe. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so I I believe that was just this past summer that that um, award was awarded to that. But yeah, I just really enjoyed, and I enjoy hearing you know racialized Indigenous Black um, points of view, and especially coming of age stories about young people, and just I can really relate to that sort of, um, especially living in you know a settler colonial state which is Canada of like finding your voice or finding your culture and working through yeah just survival in in yeah. in this sort of um, society that we're living in and so i really uh yeah i was able to relate to to johnny um and their journey of, of finding those aspects of themselves um as a two-spirit indigenous queer person we uh in my my in-person or it's been digital book club we actually read uh that book uh, over the summer and what i was impressed obviously it's like it's a, it's a pretty emotionally powerful book um but canada reads had the habit and I, I i stopped following it because they kept on kicking out the indigenous author's book very early even when it was clearly the strongest and it just became Came so obvious and it was great to see Johnny Appleseed get through this time but it's also I, I Canada reads at least the winners in the past years at least they have tried to um, present like lesser uh, vocal uh, lesser known voice voices or minority voices and perspectives uh, and they've won but a lot of them I found have been quite bland in terms of the the nature of the prose but this book what I am most looking forward to is because Canada reads makes a big it, it has a big impact in terms of sales and people picking up this is a challenging book I think it will really challenge a lot of readers both in terms of getting exposed to queer fiction and indigenous fiction uh it's uh i I hope it opens a lot of eyes i'm assuming there's probably going to be people who don't want to have their eyes open but i was impressed that they went with a book that is is that raw and forceful in terms of the kinds of questions and experiences it wanted to talk about yeah 100 percent. i totally agree i felt as well as like just really timely and unapologetic which is what i appreciated about it um and yeah I, I do I agree with you I think it is gonna do what it's supposed to do and having it in the central sort of point of view like people can't turn their eye away from from it yeah it is exciting to know those things too so why don't you tell us a little about this next issue I know you you noted that it's the theme is youth can you tell us a bit about what what why did we go out with go with this yeah so I mean we were really keeping it super broad in terms of looking for um, and to I think connecting well to um, me myself as as a person and and that sort of what I was talking about before in terms of looking for books that maybe speak to me now or speak to my younger self, like books that I wish I might have had, for example. Um, so the theme really is broad in terms of who could write a review for it or what books we're, we're looking into reviewing. But it really was central in terms of looking for reflections on maybe your inner child or your younger self, uh, books that you may wish you had at a younger age, like I was saying. Um, and of course, books that maybe could reflect your current age if you you 
or quote unquote a young person. Uh, but I really didn't put a defined age on on what youth is because I think, especially as you know, people of color um, and and intergenerational trauma, for example, and things that happen, like youth is often taken away from many people just in terms of trauma and things that happen in our lives and it's not until adult years that you might actually realize hey like I can still connect to my younger self no matter how old I am and so that's why I really personally I love coming of age novels I love like young adult books and also children's books I appreciate just connecting with like one for example um that I read recently oh my gosh it's escaping my mind of course that happens when you're when you're in a convo on a podcast. Oh, for sure, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you need the answer at the tip of your tongue. But it's it's by Amy Craft. I do know the author, um, and I believe it's a uh, Anik Press book. So that might help if you cue it in there later. I'm trying. Is it Treaty Words? It's Treaty Words. Yes, there we go. yes, it is. My goodness. Um, but just in a book like that, for example, that um, is a book for like children or a children's book it's written for kids but i think there's things like a lot of things we don't talk about in adulthood or we don't learn until um you come across it in in later years or something like that so um yeah just really emphasizing that aspect of it um when it comes to speaking about youth as a concept we definitely even as adults continue to love to go back to these coming of age stories. And it's interesting what you're saying about those who've had their youths taken away from them because of their experiences, or maybe didn't get access to books and literature to try to convey some experiences when they were youth and how books as adults can be a way to reevaluate our experiences from our past, maybe recontextualize, maybe try to resolve or, or at least come front some of the traumas that we've experienced or hear that others shared those experiences and we're not alone and it's definitely the power of literature in that way in terms of you know being able to to see ourselves which has often been denied for so many individuals. I have a young kid now. She's not, she's real, very young. She's only three. But it's, uh, you know, obviously I'm a big reader and I, I want to instill some of that love of literature with her. And what I love is that, you know, there's a lot more books to that speak to her identity. She's also biracial. Her mom is from Taiwan, you know, so we, we definitely like to get books that kind of um, speak to that kind of experience to normalize it for her, right, in terms of who she is and where she fits in the society and how, how wonderful her, her background is to be cherished and to appreciate it. When I was a kid, I come from an immigrant family, uh, but, you know, once we're here in Canada, they, there's very little in terms of that spoke to those experiences you know so and 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 that's not for i think lack of trying i just think in the 80s there just wasn't that much uh, available Mm -hmm. exactly yeah and that's exactly the point of the direction i'm hoping to go and we have been going with the books we've chose and just like even amplifying um coming of age novels or points of view that maybe aren't centered in in a lot of other um in another other ways and things like that so i'm excited about 
um, the books that that are on the docket, even from outside of my section as well. Are there any specific articles or reviews in the next episode, so the next issue that you just want to maybe highlight to us to give us a heads up to folks who are going to pick up a copy or go online to read them? Yeah. Yeah. So we have a review of Frying Plantain, which is really exciting, um, and that's set in the neighborhood of Little Jamaica in Toronto. So this book is. I believe another coming of age story that's just following the life of a girl who's caught sort of in yeah being a, a second generation immigrant and just cultural expectations and all these things and identity of, of blackness and things like that and also to um, going through life in a predominantly white society so I'm really excited about about that being a part of it I haven't gotten to read that book yet and that was um it's on my to be read list so I got to get onto that as well. I'm really excited about that book. We also have um, It Was Never Going to Be Okay, which is by an author named Jay Simpson. And it is a poetry collection, but focuses a lot on indigeneity and queerness, being an urban indigenous person, and also being a trans woman as well. So lots of talk about identity and stuff like that in this in the poems oh fantastic yeah i think the fried plantains was long listed for the giller prize last year i didn't get a chance to pick it up when it came out but uh, maybe the review will prompt me to yes but it actually did the same for me because i was going through and i was like oh yes that's something i need to get and pick up and read so yeah hopefully it does the same for for others too oh, fantastic so uh what's next for you after this guest editorship yeah i mean i am really going with the flow and just um, seeing what sort of opportunities can come come next. I think to write and freelance a little bit more, so getting my own stories out there and things that I can come up with as someone who is like an emerging writer, I guess. What kind of things do you write? So I like to write creative nonfiction um, and things like that and getting into trying to write more, more fiction and um, create my own worlds, uh, learning from Octavia Butler and, and trying to grow. Um, that side of my um, creative expression. Um, but yeah, I find myself, I'm very responsive in terms of my writing. Maybe if something impacts me in the world, then I, I get that inspiration and write something. But I'm trying to be more proactive or, or create more in a way that isn't as, I guess, responsive. So that's something I'm working on personally and trying to get more creative with it. But beyond that, yeah, just, just working day to day and then trying to yeah get creative with my my voice as a writer too i've uh, i've i've definitely decided to plant myself in the reader camp of the literary world i've tried writing but i've just lacked the discipline and so i any whenever someone tells me they've written or they've made published a story or a collection of poetry i uh, i'm in awe because i know my failed efforts <laughs> uh, even just starting off you know we all have great ideas in our head but to actually put them on paper is the the hard part yeah, it's really difficult. So yeah, I'm working through that learning curve myself. And um, yeah, learning a lot from what I'm reading. I'm spending a lot of time just being a reader, because I think that is so important to the writing process you learn from, um, from others and get so much inspiration from from others as well and other voices. So that's sort of where I'm at too. Like I definitely will always be a reader. What's the next book you're planning to read? I'm in the, I just started Astra by Cedar. Okay. Yeah. And I believe that's also on a short. It was on the long list for the Giller prize as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm using the, the Giller list as some 
to be reds um getting into that and then yeah so that's that's next i think <laughs> okay that's fantastic so we're going to take a short little break now and when we come back jamil and i are going to talk about the most precious substance on earth The second part of this episode is focused on Sashi Bat's coming-of-age novel, The Most Precious Substance on Earth. As a content warning, the novel deals with themes of sexual violence that we address in our conversation. Also, we do talk about important plot details, so if you want to avoid spoilers until reading the book, be warned. And with that, here's the book discussion. We are going to now talk about the most precious substance on earth. Uh, I've uh, already introduced it a little bit and the author's name is Sashi Bat. But before we start dealing with some of the themes and, and different issues or questions or items we want to talk about, I was going to ask Jamil if she can uh, give us a bit of a synopsis. Yeah, no, of course. I um, yeah, chose this book. I was reading it when we were talking about planning um, out this podcast and it was really I was really enjoying it uh, really able to connect with the main character Nina um, and it really is just Nina's voice we're following her her thoughts um, a coming of age story that really focuses on womanhood I would say and also being an Indian Canadian woman and living in Halifax uh, so living in on the east coast there so yeah we get to just follow her life as from 14 years old and into her 30s and get to hear what she's really thinking that maybe she doesn't really say out loud in life so i really appreciated it because it speaks to womanhood and identity and all these things that i've already talked about really great read so tell me why did you want to talk about it with that with me on the podcast yeah i mean i really like honestly was connecting with Nina, the the main character in it, um, a coming of age story that I think, and also I believe that we are uh, one of the, in, not in my section, but in another section, there's a review going to be coming out on the book, more points of view to include um, beyond just the one that will be included in our issue in November. But yeah, it was what I was reading at the time and I really just was enjoying, and also I've never been to Halifax, I've never been to the East Coast. So I just was like looking to sort of like live in in her shoes, I guess, and, and connecting with that side of like, I want to go there really badly as well. So I was learning a lot about the similarities between I think my experience growing up and also just like Nina's and, and um, I guess the East Coast experience. So I uh, got to listen to the audiobook because it was a, it was a nice short one. It was actually a very good audiobook. You know, it's you never know how text translates to audio or how the narrator will be. Uh, and I do find that sometimes Canadian books don't necessarily get the 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 best uh, audiobook narrators. You know, it's a smaller pool of talent and and less money often associated with books. But this one was quite well done. And and you know sometimes the book you're reading just by coincidence fits in to the larger themes that you're thinking about in life. And, and I guess in terms of this issue, it just fit perfectly. It happened in our last episode too, where Dana and I chose Fight Night, the Miriam Taves book, which is also very much about youth. Uh, we didn't know that when we picked up that book. We didn't know all the details of the plot. So it was uh, it was a perfect choice in that respect. 
I I really identified with a lot of things. I'm also a second generation immigrant. Uh, so to really delve into the, some of those tensions in a way that was uh, wasn't overly dramatic or melodramatic. It was very, very supportive parents who obviously probably wanted Nina to go in a certain direction and it didn't work out. But also it wasn't a cruel relationship towards one another. And I, I thought I that felt very real, even when parents might be somewhat disappointed or whatever with the choices their kids made. But I also identified when everything was happening because Nina goes to high school in the late 1990s and early 2000s when I was in high school. And so the kinds of experiences she had, the store she was going to, the places she was hanging out, her trip that she takes with her band to Toronto. You know, I was in Toronto around that time. So it, I, I got all of that. So I, right away I was uh, pulled into it. But obviously the experience of a young woman in, in high school and, I, you know, obviously Nina, someone who is sexually assaulted by her, her uh, teacher and the kinds of impacts that has on her life and then her, you know, her constant experiences with but, uh, with toxic masculinity in terms of all the, the males that she gets attracted to and, and pulled into their orbit and, and how she tries to navigate that in a way that, you know, other than the sexual assault, you know, the, the relationships aren't necessarily overly, you know, they're not necessarily abusive per se, but definitely in terms of the manipulations that she experiences and through the men she interacts with, uh, I, I found those parts were incredibly powerful and moving and uh you know in terms of like we're living in a me too world the post me too world and there's been a few of these books that have kind of delved with uh a coming to terms a reckoning with the the experiences that women have throughout their lives dealing with abuse of men and this is i have to say one of the better uh portrayals of that I agree. And I think just to speak to that even further is just as, you know, a woman and like the silence that you feel in the book as well. And Nina doesn't, she's speaking to us, but she's never said anything out loud. And I think that is what was the most powerful for me and connected and how normalized, you know, like it often happens. And that's the, the essence of me too, right? Women saying this happened to me too. This also happened to me. And saying that out loud finally was what was so important about that movement and what is so important about that. But also knowing that there are tons of women out there that will never say anything. Um, and I think that is what so powerful about Nina and just the reminder that it's normalized and in the relationships that we all have, like especially when it comes to growing up and um, power dynamics in a patriarchal society, like understanding these things are so vital to ensuring that people are safe in our lives. And so, yeah, that's why I really, really connected and appreciated how the story was told. And of course, like it was very unsettling to come to terms with or even to, I didn't realize that that was the way that it was going to be told. Like I knew that there was going to be like content of, you know, sexual trauma and things in the, in the story. And for me, I'm always thinking and preparing for what that looks like, but it wasn't told in a way that feels like in, not to say that's in your face. I don't know if that's the right term, but it's just normalized. It was just told how it happened 
and it really was just how was well, between the lines right you know and the the initial encounter with the teacher isn't explicitly revealed until you know several chapters later and there was that moment i guess when she's she's doing her mfa in baltimore is that my right where she's uh, and she has that experience with her uh, uh, i guess someone who's interested in her and it just that tension in terms of her own thought process as she's trying to negotiate how to make the space safe is just uh in terms of like people who are trying to come to terms with what experiences of women have been in their lives and how many circumstances like this occur and where they the protest is often silent and you're just trying to think in your own mind how to strategize your way out of situations you know are going to become dangerous is like that that I forget which chapter that was but that's that's must reading a hundred percent and it's just it's such a lesson of consent as well and why that is important that we talk about these things and all parties involved in and in these sort of relationships know that it's yeah like it's important to consent and it's important that we have these communication channels and we don't just take take things for granted i guess but yeah no i definitely in terms of womanhood and just the normalization of of silence and and through growth and how this has affected her life in so many different facets as well um, was what really stuck with me. Yeah, and I, I think it took her a while to really realize how impactful that original encounter with the teacher actually was. Because, you you know, you hear in the first chapter that she's, you know, she has a, a teenage crush on this on this professor uh, and, and may abstractly think, you know, g- getting together with him is something she wants. And then the, the impact of it, like, and, and why the we don't consent or we, if society, you know, makes it illegal for professors or teachers to engage in these kinds of relationships where they have this enormous power imbalance uh, with their students and the impact that it has in terms of all the choices she ends up making in life and all the uh, setting her sights lower and lower uh, as, as she goes along. The book is so good at conveying her vulnerability. I, I really like the parts where she's going to these Toastmasters to try to become a better speaker. And, it's, uh, you know, other people are like, you're a teacher, you should be good at this, right? But she doesn't believe it. And then when she she leaves her, and this is a totally spoiler-filled <laughs> recording, and I'm sorry about that for folks listening, but when she leaves her it's not necessarily a plot driven uh, book though but when she leaves her teaching career and then she sees all of the remarks from her te- her students in terms of how um, impactful and important she was to their lives and it just doesn't connect with her where psychologically she felt she was yeah and i think that's so vital in terms of talking again back to like womanhood and growth like imposter syndrome and thinking you're not good enough and all these things and me as someone I'm 26 years old I'm still learning and growing and looking back I've had those same feelings of oh I'm not you know as talented as I think I can or even I am and even just you know having in the last two years of my life really calling myself a writer like I didn't do that my whole life and so I think there's a lot of just yeah reminders that are necessary for women readers or people who might feel as though they aren't good enough and have those like impostery feelings in their lives because yeah it came as a surprise to Nina when she found that yeah she was actually doing a good job and she was actually um, making an impact in her students lives and her negative voice was so so loud and that was just overpowering and it caused her to leave that profession right 
And I think as readers, we were shocked by the the remarks from the students as well, because everything had been seen through Nina's perspective, who had obviously had this negative tinge of her abilities. And it's like, it's in terms of like an interesting use of this unreliable narrator to convey all these issues you're, you're mentioning. It was great. Another thing I really liked about it is it really pushes against our idea of what an East Coast novel is. Because uh, East Coast novels, the ones we know, Michael Crummy is obviously a big name and author, and all the other ones that I've read in the past, and I, I can't quite, now it's my turn to blank on them. But it, 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 they tend to be very white, very pastoral, or isolated communities, or historical fiction. And so this one I found, like, A, it's an urban novel, takes place in Halifax, but also it's it, it reflects a diversity that is, isn't uh, usually conveyed in a lot of East Coast novels. I think there's been some that deal with the uh, the Black experience in, in Nova Scotia and in Africville and whatnot, but to have an immigrant experience there, a, a South Asian experience, uh, and, and how that meshes with the society there, I found uh, a unique take that I hadn't read before. Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely um, feel similarly and know that that's something too, like as a person of color, when you're looking to maybe even just explore some other place or just travel in general, you're wondering like, oh, what's the experience like for people of color there? Um, what's it like for, yeah, what are, what are the stories being told about them um, in different provinces or wherever the case may be? And if it's an overly representative of just white voices, then you don't get that opportunity to even just imagine yourself there. Like for me, it kind of felt like, I was connecting to Nina as a friend. Like I was somebody who I, I believe if I was, you know, going to school with her at that time, we would connect to be able to be friends. Um, and yeah. so it's nice to, to have that opportunity to be invited in to a different, different place. And now Jamil is going to read a short passage from the novel. So take it away, Jamil. Today, as usual, I'm reading and Amy is peeling the varnish off the floor. The varnish lies in a loose coat over the hardwood and cracks as you step over it. In the short time I've been attending Sir William Alexander High School, I've already seen so much of the building deteriorate. It seems like every day another part of it breaks off. Back in September, I bicycled by and looked at the school. At its heritage red brick and white trim, its tall, narrow windows, its spacious dandelion-filled lawn, and I thought, with affection, that is my high school. Relishing the still newness of grade nine. Just at that moment, a piece of one of the window frames freed itself from its hinge and fell to the pavement. Amy peels the varnish on the floor and patches all over the school. During lunch, she peels the floor of a second floor alcove where we eat with our legs crossed in front of us, sandwich bags in our laps, backs against the concrete walls. During fourth period phys ed, she peels the floor in the gymnasium while we stretch, and then leaves the waxy scraps in small piles here and there. Later, while we're made to do push-ups, people's hands and shoes sometimes land on these piles, and their limbs go sliding sideways. Eventually, the whole floor will be stripped bare. Thanks for reading that. Uh, So, okay, so that's a fantastic book. I think, uh, who would you recommend this to? Honestly, for me, and just learning in light of, like, the issue and just stories we're trying to tell I think anybody should should read these books I think that's sort of the the point that we're trying to get across too is that there's no really age that you can learn from like a coming of age novel especially like an underrepresented voice um I think it's really important that all people 
no matter your background, no matter your age, connect with books um, and stories that are finally getting the opportunity to be told in these ways. So yeah, I think it's really, really important, especially with like the themes of, you know, sexual violence and power dynamics that men read books like these and hear these voices yes. and know that, yeah, that this is not just something for a specific, you know, group of people to connect with. Yeah, for me, I think young men, especially young white men, it's easy for them to find themselves in books because there's a lot out there, classics and whatnot. But I think there's a value for, for those people to or individuals to go out and, and read other voices uh, because th those experiences and I think the ones that Nina conveyed are probably things that they have seen and and maybe haven't really recognized them or learned to empathize with those experiences or how to respond properly to those experiences and reading books like uh, like this, I think, can go a bit of a way in terms of uh, shifting the conversation that exists among young people in terms of how we engage with one another uh, between genders and whatnot. I totally agree, yeah. Uh, okay, that's fantastic. Well, I want to thank you so much, Jamil, for joining us uh, today. I'm very much looking forward to the next issue of the review. We're going to try to release the the podcast around the same time. I'm going to figure out with Dana exactly when she wants it out. Uh, but I think this has been great. And I hope today's interview will both encourage people to check out the review and to check out the book. So thanks again. Thanks, Alex. I really enjoyed this chat. Looking forward to hearing it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Hamilton Review of Books podcast. We hope you check out the new issue of the review that Jamil Guest edited. We're all very excited about this issue's content. Our next podcast episode will feature Joe Oldman, a local graphic novelist whose new work, Fictional Father, became the first graphic novel ever shortlisted for the Governor General Award for Fiction. We hope to have it up sometime in mid-December for everyone's holiday listening. Till then... 